The Anton Savage Show Saturday with Nifty Business on News Talk. Good morning, Tonish. Good morning. Before we get to corporation tax and other matters along those lines, uh, given your remit as uh, foreign affairs, I have to ask you about uh, what we saw from Gaza yesterday and overnight. This being the revelation that a convoy of ambulances was hit by an Israeli airstrike. Hamas saying that this was a number of patients from hospital who were uh, killed. Israel saying that, um, not denying that they struck the uh, ambulances, but saying they did it because they believed there were Hamas inside. What's your reaction? Uh, I think, for, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked at the level of violence now that's, uh, that's uh, happening within Gaza. I've always been of the view consistently over the years that you cannot bomb an urban conurbation as dense as Gaza without killing innocent women and children. And as I said yesterday, and I've been saying consistently, Israel has an, an obligation to adhere uh, to international humanitarian law. And where does that bombing ambulances fit involved, in that? It doesn't fit into that. And proportionality and necessity are key principles of international um, humanitarian law. And in my view, they were not applied in this situation. And I think the World Health Organization have been very strong in articulating the view that ambulances are off limit. Hospitals are off limit. Um, do you believe the do, Israeli position? I, I, I mean, I, again, in war, it's very difficult for journalists, media and people who are viewing things from afar to be uh, precise judges in terms of what is transpiring in respect of any one incident. Uh, but what I'm looking at is the death toll uh, and particularly the number of children who are dying uh, and the number of innocent civilians. And, and, and the key principle is that the lives of civilians must be protected. But that's what I find so um, odd in this, time. where you talk about the thing of the capacity to find truth. Were it that Gaza was saying there was an ambulance struck or there was a convoy of ambulances struck and Israel was saying, no, there wasn't, you might say, well, how do we get the twain to meet? Whereas when it is agreed, they struck a convoy of ambulances and we have to believe they knew who was inside one of the vehicles and that justified civilian killing. But it doesn't justify civilian killing in, in, in my view. And I think... I'm very clear in my in my view that the, the the campaign that is underway is disproportionate, um, without question, uh, and too many civilians are losing their their lives, um, and Israel has the right to go after Hamas. Uh, of that, there is no question, um, but it cannot be um, a collective attack or punishment of. of, of so, do you share the teacher's view that this is approaching revenge? Uh, and, and I think there, there's, there's a rootless pursuit of Hamas, and it seems to, and it's, it's clear to me that there's a dis, that, that it, it then it's not proportionate, um, and it is not, in my view, in accordance with international humanitarian law, and there does ultimately have to be accountability here. And I think the International Criminal Court is the, the, the body that really can investigate and has said already um, that, that it has jurisdiction in the Middle East. And ultimately, these issues do have to be um, brought to the fore. On the topic, and then, people do have to be held to account of in terms of any breaches of inter international humanitarian law. There has been calls, particularly from Mary Lou Macdonald, that the Israeli ambassador's position, which has been a very vocal position it has to be said in, in uh, Ireland in the last number of weeks the Israeli ambassador's position is untenable do you agree? I don't um, I believe fundamentally in diplomacy I believe that maintaining uh, channels of communication is essential uh, maintaining those communication channels does not mean you endorse any particular country's policies and also at a time of war and conflict it's even more important that you maintain diplomatic links and so we're trying to get 35 Irish citizens 
out of Gaza. I'm unclear as to how uh, breaking off diplomatic relations, expelling the ambassador would help us get Irish citizens out of Gaza because right now and for the last two weeks, our officials have been working with Israeli authorities and with Egyptian authorities with a view to getting out Irish citizens. And in the very press release where Sinn Féin said uh, that the, the, they want to get, expel the ambassador, uh, Sinn Féin, the headline is, they want Ireland to use every diplomatic channel at its disposal. And yet in the same press release, they're saying, get rid of the ambassador. Well, if that's It's incoherent case, then and it doesn't make sense. And any serious government, and just make this point, and I have to conduct foreign policy on behalf of the government and, and the people of Ireland. Any serious government knows uh, that diplomacy but, is the most basic essential link. That's what I want to ask about. Countries. We, what the Israelis have, have revealed in the last while is that they are extremely sensitive. And I don't mean that a pejorative and literate. They are sensitive to international commentary. The Israeli embassy over here and the Israeli diplomats will undoubtedly see the level of popular support that Mary Lou MacDonald has and the potential political uh, results she may get at the next election. Do you think, therefore, saying what she has said damages our capacity to deliver diplomacy? I think ultimately uh, it potentially could, but I think more what's really going on here is politics and the degree to which Sinn Féin will bend and move uh, with, with, with only one objective in mind, uh, what, what is popular, what, what will improve our electoral base. But it's not serious uh, foreign policy. It's not. Uh, They'll say view. it's a moral position and that you, uh, it's you're not a moral coward. Position. I mean, they had a different view 10 days ago. Um, they're coming under pressure from the far left and, and clearly they're moving in that direction for political reasons. It doesn't make any sense from a, from a, from a hard-nosed uh, sort of foreign policy perspective. That you, I mean, we had the same in terms of, of, of the Russian ambassador, even though Sinn Féin supported, in many, well, were certainly neutral when Crimea was invaded 10 years ago. Sinn Féin had a very odd position in terms of the Russian invasion of Crimea. However, with popular opinion this time, they wanted the Russian ambassador expelled. People want the Iranian ambassador expelled. Uh, I mean, if you keep going, uh, you won't have much of a diplomatic sort of uh, network be- before we're finished. Interesting I don't question. mean that facetious, but it's a very important point. And I think people could do with a basic ground course on, on, on dipl- a basic course on diplomacy. What do we want as a country? Do we want to be a player? Because in that press release, Sinn Féin wants Ireland to be a player, wants Ireland to be a Should serious... Should we tone down our language then? I mean, no, Taoiseach but I mean, saying, if you want to be a serious interlocutor... No, but if that's the case, if you look at what the Taoiseach said about Israel, he has accused them effectively of seeking revenge rather than of self-defence. Is that going too far? Does that, does I mean, that prevent you being a serious speak, interlocutor? People have to give their views and, and people are entitled to give their views. Uh, but when you're saying on the one hand that Ireland has the potential to be an interlocutor, how can you be a serious interlocutor if you tell one side we don't even want to talk to you, we're breaking off relations with you? It makes no sense is what I'm saying. One further and thing I think on this. Be very un- I mean, the easier thing to do is go up on the rooftop, go up on the mountain and just call for everybody to be expelled or whatever. And you feel good about it. But it doesn't really advance uh, the, 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 the agenda. I mean, I, I appreciate the fact that Secretary of State Blinken is out there yesterday. He's now in today uh, heading to Oman to meet with, with Arab states. Doing very little to provide anything other than apparent American support. It has no, to no, no, I think it's more than that, Anton. Much more than that. I mean, the Ameri- what, what you're seeing publicly is not exactly what's going on privately. So you think there's American uh, there's pressure no being applied? That American pressure has been applied to, um, in, uh, to try and get restraint on the Israeli side. And also... The, critically, the talks today with the Jordanians, uh, the Egyptians, the Palestinians that um, Secretary of Blinken is involved in. I mean, that is real diplomacy. And he's endeavouring to say, where do we take this? How do we uh, create And that's not supposition on we, your part. You're, you're I, I mean, I, 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 anybody who would have any knowledge of how things are conducted know what's going on here. 
um, and people are thinking of the day after. People are saying, how do we grab, how do we try and, uh, what do we, how do we develop a pathway, a political pathway? What happens to Gaza after this bombardment ends? How do we reconstruct Gaza? Well, can I ask one question so in relation to that? Because it comes in by text. and it's it, it, kind of diplom- diplomatic This is a tricky one, I think, for, for anybody in, in this situation, be they Israeli, be they a commentator, be they a, a, a diplomat. Can the Tanishta say what would be a proportionate response. If we go back to when this started and Israel finds themselves the victim of one of the worst terror attacks in world history and definitely in their history, what do they do? Well, I think, for, first of all, it, it, it was an appalling attack uh, by Hamas. And I think the point was made to us at a European meeting, if it happened in France, it would be 10,000 citizens would have been killed, the equivalent of. So it's a very... We have to accept the impact of that on the Israeli psyche. But in my view, history teaches us that you know, bombing civilian populations, um, although you say you're going after the, the, the terrorist organization, but the killing of women and children uh, and innocent civilians, uh, in my view, makes the situation worse ultimately. You, you create more, you, you radicalize people more uh, and you make ultimate resolution of the conflict. But if you have um, a guerrilla force embedded difficult. in a I civilian think, population, I'm not a military, what do you do? I think there are, I mean, there are a number of things you can do uh, that could be far more effective. Um, and we witnessed that in, in Northern Ireland. Um, I mean, there was a number of factors that led to the provisional IRA giving up. And they bombed people innocently as well and many civilians and so on. Uh, but I do think there's a combination of measures, a far more intelligence-driven approach to deal with, with Hamas. Um, and, uh, and people know that Israel has strength in that field. Uh, but I think the, you know, the carpet bombing of, of very densely, this is a very densely populated area, cannot yield anything but uh, a horrific um, number of uh, civilian casualties and deaths. And that's the, that's the problem and the fundamental moral question here in respect of what's going on in Gaza. Uh, and that is why Ireland has, and look, Israel has never liked Ireland's position over the years because we've been consistently on the side of international humanitarian law. We've called out uh, Israeli violations of the UN Charter in respect of the occupied territories, the West Bank, and even now, the degree of violence in the West Bank by um, uh, uh, settlers uh, who are now displacing Bedouin um, uh, tribes, uh, Bedouin, sorry, farming communities and uh, displacing Palestinians as we speak. How okay. does that advance the peace process uh, or the idea of a two-state solution? If you want to get in touch with the show, it is 53106 at a cost of 30 cent or you can WhatsApp 087-1400-106. We're speaking to Tonish, the Michal Martin, uh, Minister for Foreign Affairs. We've been talking about matters relating to foreign affairs. This, of course, is the weekend of the Fianna Fáil or Desh happening only around the corner in the uh, Dublin Royal Convention Centre, which means politics, the preparation for locals, nationals, uh, Europeans must be in, in the uh, thinking and the party must be in the thinking. The prediction, we were talking about Sinn Féin earlier on and their possible uh, electoral success. The prediction from Ivan Yates a couple of weeks ago was that Sinn Féin is going to win 70 seats. The reason that they're going to win 70 seats is because the under 40s have abandoned Fianna Fáil and uh, Fine Gael. And the reason that they have abandoned Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael is because you failed to get them houses. Um, well, I wouldn't necessarily agree with Ivan um, on, on, on that at all. Um, and I think, first of all, I need to be very careful of projections because the last three general elections, the opinion polls were about 10% out, a year out, 
Um, so I think there's far too much emphasis on opinion polls in terms of how they dictate the narrative on political analysis. But Ivan it. is saying that he gets some of this from having worked with Fianna Fáil and has therefore seen well, then he behind knows how the strong curtain. we are and he knows how strong our candidates on the ground are. Um, and we're the largest political party at local government level, for example, and have been despite all of the opinion polls uh, prior to those local elections. And it, it, we're going into a local elections that will be very challenging. Um, but we have very strong people rooted in the community, embedded in the community, uh, and who work very hard and people do respond to that. And we'll Are you back. disappointed you didn't get a bounce off the budget? Um, well, you see, you're back to opinion boards again. I mean, you, you won't well, know... Well, they until do matter, Thoris. You can't say, well, we just well, stick our head no, in the sand for five saying, years no, and then give it a shot. What I'm saying is we need to have far more analysis on the methodologies behind those polls uh, um, and in terms of the degree to which they conform with European standards um, and the degree to which they dominate political narrative. I, I think they're, they overly dominate. No, Whatever about the domination of the narrative, were they accurate, they could dominate the narrative and you would say that it'd be fine. Are you saying that fundamentally <clears> you look at opinion polls and think, nah, you have it wrong, lads, we're much better than you say? I've said that for a good long time. I mean, in 2016, the opinion polls would have been giving Fianna Fáil 33 seats. I think we got 45. Uh, all of, but the problem with that then is that all the questions I was getting six months before that general election was, are you going in with, will you be the junior partner at Fine Gael? Will you be this? Uh, and people were looking at it through the lens of the opinion poll alone. Um, they weren't looking at as much true policy or substance. So inevitably when I'm having a discussion with you here, it's not about the substance, it's about who's up, who's down, uh, how, many, how many seats will you get, how many seats will the other crowd get, what are you going to do afterwards? Well, steady, of, the, well hang on, the opening question to this was, Ivan Yates says, this is who's up and who's down, and the reason why is because you failed to provide okay, let's deal houses. With that. I mean, the bottom line is, Fianna Fáil are in government for the last three years now, and we've made a big difference on housing. But it's not enough, we've got to do more. Um, and over 30,000 houses were constructed last year. COVID did hit us with the two lockdowns, but the momentum is really there now in terms of house construction. In terms of social housing, we are building more social houses and delivering more social houses now than we did for decades as a country. And the last three years has shown uh, a distinctive change and uh, in respect of social housing alone. There are 22,000 social houses now either on site, at design, um, at planning stage. So that's on top of the 30,000 we've delivered already. It's in very three difficult, years. I assume, though, Tony, to, to sell on the doorsteps that we haven't solved your problem, but we've at least started on the long road to it. That's well, a think, hard sell. Well, it's like. more than that. I think there's a significant um, increased housing has been made available. The schemes for, in around affordability in particular, the expanded head-to-buy scheme, the first home scheme is proving very, very popular. The vacant housing and dereliction, derelict schemes where you've grants now up to 50,000 for vacant and 70,000 for a derelict to refurbish them and to live in them. I mean, they're very popular and they're really, and people are applying. Uh, and, and people are, I mean, the 500 first time buyers now every week. Okay, so you talk about the, the so only being at made. this, you talk about being at this for, for three <clears> years. What then do you think was the sea change that Fianna Fáil's entry into government brought about in the manner in which we provide housing? Well, first of all, we want to, we, we, we sought out housing uh, as a party. We said we want to deal with the housing. Group. As did Fine Gael, uh, as did the opposition. No, we sought out housing and we went at it. I think at structural level, the formation of Cabinet Subcommittee was very important. Having key government departments meeting regularly, the development of the housing for all plan uh, and constantly reviewing it. And to be fair, uh, the allocation of sufficient capital monies uh, to get behind You don't think it. there would have been a cabinet subcommittee had you not gone into government? You don't well, think there would have been capital money? Well, we have changed the modus operandi of, of government over the last three years and insofar as the number of cabinet committees we've developed, 
not just on housing, but in other areas. Uh, and I think that that structurally has been important. I think Dara Bryan has given a great energy uh, in respect of his commitment to it. And the government as a whole has. All government departments are, you know, we've the three parties said um, housing, health, climate uh, are key three, uh, key, uh, three key aspects uh, of government policy. And housing, obviously, is the number one social priority of our time. We acknowledge that. And it is very difficult for young people out there. It, they can get very, you know, annoyed. I understand it fully uh, in respect of the ability to afford housing. Uh, and we've been focused on affordability and on getting more houses built because ultimately that is it. We now, have to get more built. I asked you about the uh, budget and whether or not it had a, an impact on the um, uh, opinion polls. The budget, of course, was largely predicated <coughs> on a big windfall in corporation tax and great corporation tax receipts. In the most recent receipts uh, only coming in on Friday, we see a significant diminution in the level of corporation tax that's coming in. Essentially reading the tea leaves, that's Pfizer and Apple, isn't it? Well, I mean, uh, you, you can be very good reading tea leaves, Anton. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> but, but I mean, we, we've been warning for quite a long time that the, the issue of corporation tax is one where the, there are significant once-off revenues um, accruing uh, and that we have to be very conscious of that. So we've put money aside already. Uh, we've cre- we're creating the Ireland Future Fund. It is um, strange, though, for a sovereign nation to know if the iPhone gets delayed and if vaccines don't sell, we're all going to feel it in our pockets. Well, it's, I mean, let's be honest. Uh, the world is in a bit of difficulty. We, we've just discussed one major conflict in the Middle East. We've had a war on Ukraine uh, by Russia uh, violating the UN Charter there. That created an, an, an energy crisis for the last two years and prices and inflation and so on. We've come out of COVID out of a pandemic, which created its own inflationary spiral. Our markets that we sell into, um, some of them have been in recession. Um, but the, the, So Ireland has been quite resilient in the face of all of that. Our domestic economy uh, still is strong and our domestic revenues and VAT and tax, income tax are up 8 to 10%. It's it's the international side or trading side, if you like, um, is, 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 is heading uh, in, in, into more um, difficult waters. But um, Oh, you don't see this as an anomaly? When you say an anomaly. You say it's heading into difficult waters. You don't see this as a once-off hit to corporation tax. You see that we may be in difficult, heading into, as you say, difficult waters in relation to future corporation no, tax. No, I mean, tax. at the moment, the, the, the world economy is not in the strongest position we would like it to be. Ireland's an open economy. We sell all our goods and services. Uh, yes, coming out of COVID, we were strong on vaccines. We were strong on a lot of medical, uh, both medical devices and indeed in terms of um, medicines in particular. Um, there's an inevitable tailing off of that uh, as we've come to grips with COVID. Um, from, from a pharmaceutical perspective, from a vaccine perspective, the resilience of populations is stronger. Um, and so that's impacting <clears throat> on our pharma side. Um, but again, that will, I mean, that, that, that always has ups and downs and will come strong again in our view. Um, and, but but the, the fundamental point I'm making is that the international economy is not where we would like it to be. We trade into that economy. Some of our markets um, are in recession uh, and therefore that affects our exports. Uh, and we do believe this is more to do with the export side of the economy than the domestic side of the economy. You have a big speech coming up this evening where you have to lay out the vision for the party, the uh, vision for government for the next while. Um, I think half six, is that when you're on the the boards and the the convention centre? Undoubtedly a time for reflection as you as party leader. Over the past couple of weeks, you were thinking what you were going to put in the speech. How long more do you want to be party leader? Well, 
first of all, I'm going to fight the next general election um, and I'm still hungry um, and I'm committed to it. I'm um, very clear Why? on the issues. Um, I think it's, a, it's a, first of all, I, I, public life has always been part and parcel of who I am. I'm always interested in solving problems or trying to solve them or make a contribution to solving them. You wouldn't like housing, to contribute from the Oris? Housing is the big one, sorry? You wouldn't like to contribute from the Oris? I, I would prefer to contribute right now from government uh, and in government and in the Oireachtas. Uh, and that's where I, I, um, I think you, from an executive perspective, we can get things done. Um, and particularly in areas like I, we've mentioned housing, climate, but education has always been a passion of mine. Uh, I think we've, been, we've more work to do in terms of special needs. Uh, edu- education and particularly health and access to therapists and uh, uh, areas like that uh, would annoy me that, that, that trying to get through systems and, and, and to get the parents and children number one. So th- these are issues that still motivate me to stay in politics, to keep committed but to But staying politics. in politics and staying in a position of party leadership are two different things. Party leadership is one of those where, where um, the, the proverbial rolls uphill for a long time. Is there a point at which you go, okay, I can contribute without having to be the solution to all of the party problems? Well, I'm not the solution to all of the party problems. It has to be a collective. Politics is a collective and um, I have a very good um, members in cabinet, very good ministers of state. Um, and I work with them and we just discussed uh, the financials. I just spoke to Michael McGrath this morning, um, who I think has um, introduced um, a, a very strong budget, but also has with a view to the future uh, and with a view to the future of the young people um, who we're trying to protect, whose interests and rights we're trying to protect for the future in terms of access to public services. Because the big change in the last 20 years has been population growth in Ireland. It's been phenomenal. And that has created its own pressures on public services. And I think we need to um, acknowledge that, uh, and I've been pushing this within government, and particularly with the public service, that that needs a kind of a changed response in terms of the services that are under pressure from that population Although increase. prime amongst them, houses. Yeah, and health. Uh, and health as well. Uh, I mean, the number of treatments has grown dramatically. People are living longer. People are living healthier lives because of medical interventions, because of the very pharmaceuticals you spoke about earlier. Um, but that means um, increased investment and modernization and reform of public services. I'm conscious that you have a speech to prepare for. Michal Martin, Thonista and leader of Finafol. Thank you very much for coming in this morning. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday. With Nifty Business. Saturday morning at nine. On News Talk.